a Pulp MX Network production. With your support of our sponsors, we have reached over 800 podcasts and counting. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, support your moto addiction by buying from our sponsors. It's the Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. Presented by Fox Racing. The original moto podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the MotorcycleSuperstore.com RacerX podcast. Uh, MotorcycleSuperstore.com. They are a trusted brand uh, that goes out and sells things for a hell of a deal. 700 trusted pr- companies that use their pro- that uh, sell on MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Uh, from whatever it is, uh, going talking about going riding, bench racing, uh, the company rides itself. And so check out all this latest parts and gear that they have. Motorcycle Superstore team, of course, with uh, top Jimmy Albertson and Josh Osby, Kyle Cunningham, it's MotorcycleSuperstore.com. If you want to save at that place, uh, go to there. Punch in the code PB-PULP16. PB and uh, PULP16-PULP16 dash pulp gets you a savings at MotorcycleSuperstore.com, and we thank those guys for making it happen. Get yourself a deal over there. Also presented by Fox Racing, Foxhead.com, the global innovation leader in motocross racewear, continuing the relentless pursuit to innovate and elevate. Kenny Roxon wears Fox, and uh, he just kicked ass in two out of three motos at the Monster Energy Cup. So Ryan Dungey wears Fox, among others. So thanks to uh, Fox Racing and Foxhead.com for uh, coming on with me uh, on the line to uh, talk a little bit about all the various things that he's been up to lately, which uh, have a wide range of things. Former GP winner, uh, Motocross the Nation's champion, King Kurt Nickel. What's up, Kurt? How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, just... Uh Got back from doing a little riding at uh, Korea Creek. So, oh, nice, nice. Um, feeling pretty good. Um, and for people who want to know, we're going to talk about Nitro Circus and the Vet MXDN and the Alta e-bike win that, that Kurt just captured at the, the last Enduro Cross. But we've done a career retrospective podcast with Kurt. It's great. Search the archives. It's an hour, over an hour long where we talk about all of Kurt's uh, uh, GP race wins comes, coming over to here, running KTM in America. We probably ended it right as you started working with Nitro Circus. But um, So search the archives for that, people, if you want to uh, hear, hear Kurt's story. Um, Kurt, first up, I guess, uh, Lord Alfred says hi. Number one, Lord Alfred is uh, saying hi. Yeah, yeah. Lord Alfred is uh, one of my biggest supporters. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I just love the stuff when they come out. I mean, it's probably now not uh, as controversial and taken as seriously as it was in the beginning. Some of those first articles. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you remember, oh I yes, mean, <laughs> people were up in arms about it. <laughs> I love it. Was it. So funny. It was really good. Yeah. As it- I think now everybody knows that it's tongue-in-cheek. In the beginning, people thought it was serious. I hope so. As a couple of foreigners living in America, you do have to laugh at stuff like that. The Americans take it very, very seriously. So, um, yeah, I think the first one that he did, he um, compared my record to DeCosta's to say how much better my right record was. People just going mental. <laughs> exactly right. Um, well, hey, uh, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. A uh, lot to talk to you about. I guess first up, NitroCircus.com. Uh, for people who don't know, you are the the president of Nitro Circus. What exactly? I don't. I should probably should know that, but you run the thing, kinda. 
I run the touring department, uh-huh. um, so which you know is obviously the mainstay nowadays. Yeah, um, I've been with Nitro now for God, must over seven years. Time flies, in which we've had a lot of changes. I mean, when we first, uh, when I was first working there, it was Godfrey Entertainment. There was mm-hmm. about three of us in Utah: uh, Greg Godfrey and Jeremy Rawl and Travis, obviously. Yep, and you know, making. Uh, um, DVDs and then MTV picked up the show mm-hmm. and turned it into a massive TV show. And since then, I mean, it's unrecognizable. I mean, you know, we did a 3D movie and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we devised a way to do live, bring it into um, live shows in mm-hmm. 2010 um, and did an arena tour in Australia and. It's just gone mad since then. I mean, we're up to, we've done over 110 shows this year. Yeah, and I was just looking at the schedule. You're going back through North America again. Like, it's crazy. I didn't even know that until I looked at the website. Yeah, we were actually, you know, we started in North America in 2014 mm-hmm. and did um, arena shows, um, which, you know, was hugely successful. Uh, we then came back and, you know, did other cities in 2015. Um, and... And then 2016, which was just finished, literally just finished like mm-hmm. two weeks ago, we did smaller cities like provincial cities, mm-hmm. um, you know, all over the place, a bunch in Canada, which were super successful outdoors, um, you know, smaller venues, mm-hmm. um, a slightly different show, and that's gone really well. So, you know, we're, we already um, will actually be announcing part of a new tour within the next three weeks for 2017 um and then 2018 we're actually going to tour outdoors and indoors so i mean it's it's wow getting (laughs) bigger and bigger and so i mean it's for anyone that hasn't been and i don't think you've been steve but i mean it's yeah i've been i've been i've been i've been to three of them yeah i've been to three of them they're phenomenal they're absolutely yeah i I mean they really are i I know i work there and (laughs) i might be biased but um you know, even though I've probably seen 50 of them, um, you know, they're still great shows and different things still happen every night, which is, you know, even though it's, you know, we have a, a script, if you like. I mean, yep. these kids that race that ride in our show, they're, you know, they're, they are just kids, you know, in the main, they're 19, 20-year-old kids and you can't really control them. And so well, every night one of them surprises us with something, whether it's good or bad, whether they crash <laughs> their brains out or whether they uh, succeed in landing something that's never been done before. But, you know, it's uh, it, it's just a really great show for everyone to go to, and that's why they're so successful. I mean, they're not successful because of anything that I do, they, and they're just great shows. Yeah, they are. Something's always some, Something always different is happening, and there is that tendency to be like, oh, a freestyle show. Once you've seen one backflip, you've seen them all, but the Nitro shows do an incredible job of – providing anything and everything different um and nothing's ever the same like you said they're they're great for their for the dollar you spend to go see them i mean obviously i got free tickets but um they're they're, they're great I, I i've sent people to them and and people just love them nonstop. um i guess that then you're going to australia and new zealand how much of those do you have to go to yourself do you go at the start do you go at the end or do you go at all um it, it depends um we have a pretty well-oiled machine in mm-hmm. Australia and New Zealand now. Um, we have an office down there. Yep. Um, always have had, and so I don't think I will go there. Um, you know, I did several of the UK shows this year. I did several of the ones in Europe. But exactly like you say, normally I would 
come in uh, maybe at the beginning of the tour, do one or two shows, um, and then you know get out of there. I'm definitely not into the touring life. It's definitely for well, you... twenty-year-old kids. <laughs> well, you've done that. You've done the touring life. <laughs> well, I, I have. Yeah, actually, I guess I have. But the way they tour, you know, the yeah. way we do it, it's, it's full on, just like a rock concert. It's no different. You mm-hmm. know, it's sleeper buses, and you know, we do shows. Um, you know, a show on Friday, another city Saturday, another city Sunday, you know, another city Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these guys are just, you know, they're living out of a suitcase. But it's a, I mean, it's a great lifestyle, you know, if you're single yep. and you want to travel around the, the world, um, having a great time and being a star. I mean, it, it is a wonderful lifestyle, but uh, not a wonderful lifestyle for a 51-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's something else. I'm sure, plus, knowing you, Kurt, if you ended up on the tour, you'd end up doing something dumb. At some point, you would get egged on to doing something dumb during the show. <laughs> yeah, I've avoided it really well um, over the years because I can uh, tell that it's only going to lead to injury. Right. And, uh, and I, I can't backflip. Um, I did actually get talked into trying to learn to backflip mm-hmm. just to a foam pit. Yep. And uh, on about my third jump on a BMX bike, I went off to the right and missed the foam pit and hit my shoulder on the edge of it. Oh. So I quit gracefully, and I haven't tried since. <laughs> now, we're uh, we're sending uh, – Randy Richardson's a friend of mine, a friend of yours, you know him well. And we're sending our producer from the Pulp MX show to learn how to backflip from Pastrana in a couple of weeks. Uh, to Maryland. Uh, Travis said he would be down for it. We're going to make a little video of it. Our producer wants to learn how to backflip. Pastrana claims he can teach anybody to backflip. So, But your story just scares me right now. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> what, what these kids tell me, and what Travis has told me a million times, is that <laughs> if you can backflip anything, you can backflip everything. Okay. And so <laughs> right. the way that he'll teach him, I mean, basically, you know, you stand on the edge of the foam pit or on the edge of a swimming pool or something and just backflip yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you move on to a BMX bike or whatever. And and then, and it has been proven um, to me a few, me multiple times. I've actually seen kids um, do BMX in our shows that have mm-hmm. never ridden motorcycles backflip. Uh, first time on a motorcycle. Really? Huh? Uh, oh, wow. Having so, never ridden yeah, yeah. a motorcycle. Wow. So yeah. um, I guess it's true. Um, but if you, um, the converse is therefore true as well, which is you can't backflip <laughs> you, you can't backflip at all. So. <laughs> well, well, we're going to see. It's really cool that Pastrana's uh, letting us do this, go to his house, and my guy's so excited. And Randy, we're, Randy did one on his 50th birthday. And uh, so we're going to try this out. We're going to see how it goes. Um, but, yeah. If there's one thing about Travis, I mean, he is the great motivator. So he <laughs> right. convinces everybody to do things which they're not capable of. So, I mean, let's see, um, see what you've got left afterwards. Yeah, the last uh, show I went to, Travis didn't do a lot of riding. Uh, he's getting older. He's got kids. Um, you know, his body's probably getting a little beat up more than it ever has. Is it something that was a conscious decision like, hey, Travis, I mean, he is the star. He sells the tickets. Uh, or most of the tickets, anyways. People want to see him. He's he's just an iconic figure, and it's one of those things where all of you maybe had to sit him down at some point and be like, "Hey, Travis, so we're just gonna you're gonna back it down a little bit." I mean, he's what thirty five now, maybe maybe thirty two, something like that. Well, I don't think he's that old. Oh, okay, he's like thirty one or something. Yeah. But he has the body of a seventy two year old, <laughs> right? So, um, but I mean, yes, from our side, the last thing we want is for him to get hurt, right? Um, right. You know, that's something that we try to avoid. But 
in the end, it's you know, it's Travis, and he's only controllable to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So, again, on any given night, um, and I, you know, I've personally witnessed this multiple times. You know, when he's promised us that all he's going to do is go in the trains and okay. lead the trains yep. off, and then all of a sudden, mid-show, he comes in and he says, "I want to do it." Double backflip with sinks, and you're like, no, no, that's not in the script. That's not anything else. I'm doing it anyway, and you can't stop him because uh-huh. it's Travis, and you know he basically runs the show, and yeah, so yeah. you just have to sit back and hope. I mean, you know, he he broke his tip bib on the 2015 tour yeah. in North America right. trying to do a Superman front flip. Um, uh-huh. You know, which was totally not in the script, and he was not supposed to do that. And he just <laughs> went out and did it and broke his tip fib, and then he's out for the rest of the tour. Right, right. Things, things like that are wonderful, but you know, it's all part of the deal. If that is Travis, yep. And you can't stop it from being Travis. That's why everybody loves Travis. That's why he. I mean, he is just a really great human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly what everybody sees is what he is, and yeah. he is what he is, and. Um, you know, I mean, uh, there's no controlling him, and that's why he's as popular as he is and why he's as great as he is. So, yeah, you know, yep. long may it live. Yeah, absolutely. He is a, a, a unique human being. We may never see somebody like that again. I was around a lot when he raced, being a mechanic, and uh, I witnessed the, the being late to the line for signing things and high-fiving fans and, and – and DeCosta yelling at him, and, and I witnessed all that. It's all true, and, and the guy's just, just a people person, you know? Um, what have you learned from him? Like what, what, do you, or what do you most admire about him? Is it the fact that he gives out so much? Is that maybe something that, uh, that you've learned about him? I think what I admire the most, well, I know what I admire the most about Travis is he's absolutely genuine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you meet people in the world and, you know, you can tell they're talking out of the side of their mouth or, you know, they try to be something that they're not. Um, Travis is just Travis. That's it. He never tries to be anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, if he says something, it's true. And, he, you know, he doesn't he don't always agree on everything, not by a long <laughs> shot. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, he'll he'll just tell you exactly how it is. And, you know, he, he created... Um, you know, this the Nitro World Games, which we did yep. for the first time this year. I mean, that was all his brainchild. And along the, um, you know, along the passage of getting to that World Games, you know, our um, CEO and creative director is a, an Australian called Mike Poor. And, I mean, they, they butted head heavily um, through the creative process. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean... But Travis is a genius with certain things, you know, and yeah. he he on his own devised the um, airbag that actually followed the shape of the landing so that these, you know, they could try mm-hmm. ridiculous tricks without hurting themselves. And right. you know, these were all things which, you know, the size of the landing ramps and everything, we said, it's just not possible. It's not possible someone can do that. Mm-hmm. And he made it possible. And so, you know, that that's just what I admire about him. He's, he's, just, he's just genuine. Um, and, that, and that's great. It's it's ironic. You when you were a boss at KTM, you, you did everything you could to try to beat the guy racing. <laughs> now for seven years, <laughs> you've worked for him, and you've got to, you know you know this you know this guy inside and out. I just I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, well, when he was racing, to be honest, he beat himself most of the time <laughs> he did, because yeah. of his personality. <laughs> and you know, I know 
Roger, you know, like you just said, he'd pull his hair out. I mean, mm-hmm. his job, Roger's job, I wouldn't have liked at that time at all to try and, yeah. you know, what what Travis is to us, um, you know, he's great and does exactly what we want and sells the tickets. I mean, what he was to Roger, I think, was a nightmare. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly, huh? Um, com. go there for tickets. Australia, New Zealand, uh, another North American tour coming up. So, and you said there's plans for 18 already. So obviously this thing is profitable. It is selling out. And you guys are just like, let's keep this going, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, we're, the, the demand is there. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're expanding. I mean, you know, we've expanded very, very rapidly. And you know, I have lost track of how many people work at Nitro Circus now. But it's, you know, in getting close to 100. And, you know, we have, we're expanding into licensing uh, different products mm-hmm. and um, our media you know we I mean we actually kind of moved away a little bit from television for a while and now we're full on back in television yeah. business and you know that Nitro World Games was broadcast live on uh, the main NBC network mm-hmm. and so you know we that's the first time we've been involved in live broadcast and so I mean there's just a yeah you know, a, a ton of great things and and uh, you know, it's entertainment. That's what Nitro Circus is all about, and that's why it's as popular as it is, mm-hmm. and will continue to be so because we'll just keep finding ways to entertain people. No doubt. Um, you yourself. Let's get into a little bit more about what you've been doing outside of your real job of of, of uh, wrangling all the monkeys at Nitro Circus. Um, the Vet Motocross of Nations. I want to go there. I got to get to that race at some point. It's always hard to make because it's around Nations time and it's near the end of my season. It's the last thing I want to do is fly across the country or the world to go to another race. But man, it looks cool. You went this year and uh, did pretty well. Track looks epic. I imagine, first of all, Farley Castle. I mean, you must have a million laps at that place, right? I did, yeah. yeah. I certainly did. And, and a lot of great memories from the um, 80s um, where we had 500 um, Grand Prix there. And you know it's it's an iconic place in in English motocross, mm-hmm. uh, in world motocross, of course, but yeah. especially in English motocross. So um, you know it, it's it is a fantastic event. I mean, I, it's it took me took my breath away when I arrived there uh-huh. to see the number of people. It, I mean, it looked like a motocross TV <laughs> yeah. from the nineteen eighties. Yeah, you know, and unfortunately, when you go to you know the motocross Grand Prix at Glen Helen or something, and you, you know, it's badly attended by spectators. And, right. You know, they, you, there's not too many riders on the start line, and the teams are pretty small and everything. And to go back to seeing, you know, however many riders they have there, hundreds and hundreds of riders, and you know, just thousands and thousands of fans. You know, it was, you know, it was breathtaking. Honestly, arriving there was pretty amazing. Yeah, it looked like it. Uh, a little muddy, which happens every year, it seems like. Um, yeah, I mean, the mud was a mystery to me. I mean, I've lived in Southern California now for 11 years. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I used to be a pretty good mud rider. And so when it started raining, I thought, well, you know, I'm ready for this. Oh, yeah. It was so horrible. I was like a, <laughs> you're a so, junior. That, you're so spoiled. Uh, you're spoiled now, Nickel. <laughs> well, I am. I totally am. And even if it's slippery here in Southern California, you know, if it over water the track or it rains or something it's it's just slippery but this mm-hmm. was full-on proper english mud you know with bikes that were weighing 300 pounds right and, i mean i just i felt so out of place and i was 
disorganized as well because somehow I convinced myself that this doesn't happen anymore and I had like no roll-offs and not enough tear-offs and two sets of gear that I was washing in the shower at the hotel on Saturday night. Oh, God, it was... Um, I thought I think it's ironic, Nickel, that you rode an '89 CR500, which had you ridden those when you raced, you would have won a world title probably. Um, <laughs> you, fi- you finally got your CR500. Uh, you got off the Cowies and KTM's that weren't exactly um, uh, terrific back in the day, and you got on a CR, but just a, a tad too late. <laughs> yeah, but the actual the only time I ever raced a Honda. Uh, 500 was the motocross nation that we won in 1994. Because yeah. I raced 250 Hondas in yeah. uh, mid 90s uh-huh. there for a while, but uh, I just just once rode a CR 500 um, at that motocross nation. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah, no doubt, because, I mean, you know, when you think about your racing career, and you came close to winning the World Time Championship, no doubt, a couple injuries hurt you, but you also look at the bikes that Thorpe and Gabor's were riding, and, and you, I mean, nothing against your bikes, but it almost wasn't fair back then, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, they definitely had they definitely had the best bikes there. I mean, they also had, you know, there was a reason why, the, you know, the best riders tend to ride the best bikes, and, you know, I, I certainly feel like you know i was one of the best riders along mm-hmm. with Gabors and joe bay and thorpe and everybody but you know not not necessarily better you know they it was just you know they they had very good bikes but um you know it, it yeah. was what it was and uh it was it was another time i mean the t- big thing back then is there was huge differences in the bikes which you kind of don't see anymore no you know i mean no. you know rocks and one on a KTM, rocks and one on a Suzuki, and rocks and all went on their Honda, and you know they they just change and nothing really changes. But I mean, if back in the day, if you if you were riding a KTM and then you know you went to a factory Honda, I mean it was you know yeah. you were really uh, you know could see the difference and feel the difference, and the bikes felt totally different. Whereas now, you know they are very very equal, which is you know. Good and bad. It's yeah. maybe slightly less interesting, but I think it's good for racing. Um, and then, what did you think of the old bike? I always, I'm always interested to hear. Like, I talked to Fro, and he didn't have great things to say about the Twin Shock Husky. Um, but what did you think about your bike? Um, well, if, if I told you I was in love with it, that would be a lie as well. Because <laughs> so, I, mean, well, I ride a lot. Yeah. Still. And so, you know, I have, and I still have very good. Um, relationships with everybody at KTM. So, I mean, I have very good suspension. Mm-hmm. I have very good motors. And so my 450s are really nice motorcycles. And I love riding them. And you're riding a bike from 1989. Um, you know, it's 27 years of research and development, and those guys haven't sat still. Yeah. And so I, you know, the, the bike is all right if you did everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, provided you didn't make any mistakes and you didn't sort of overjump into a corner or go a little bit too fast, it's just it's so unforgiving. You know, a small overjump and everything like bottomed out. <laughs> Breaks. You missed your breaking yeah, point by right. a foot. You know, you just sail past the corner and you, there was just, you know, no. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of, I enjoyed the race. I, I mean, to be honest, the, the biggest thing for me, it was almost a humbling experience. Um to go back to England and race in England for the first time for, you know, whatever yeah, it is, whatever, yeah. 16 or 17 years, and 
to um, speak to all the fans and to realise the the kind of a, the effect that you had on people's mm-hmm. lives when you were doing World Championship. Because I mean, I was very focused, as most you know, yeah. top riders are, and you, you don't really notice. You know, you say hello to the fans and you do your best, but I mean, you're very focused on yourself and very mm-hmm. single-mindedly racing. And, and to go back there and you know to be in a much more relaxed atmosphere and obviously be, you know, a lot lot older than I was, and to appreciate um, things a lot more. It was just, it was amazing to hear the stories of all the fans that travel all around Europe following me. And that's crazy. Um, yeah, you know. It, it really was a great experience. Like I say, almost humbling to to think, well, you know, there was just so many people. And it's going on exactly the same now. And, yeah. you know, you're Ryan Dungeons and Roxons, you know, it's the same. They don't really, they won't appreciate it for no. another 20 years. And then they'll realize, you know, that there was a lot of people that you kind of helped to shape their lives mm-hmm. um, while you were racing. So it was great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool to be. Yeah, to be go back like you said and and meet these people. It'd be an awesome feeling. Yeah, it was. It was fantastic. It really, really was. Um, if you could, is uh, I always when I think of England motocross, I think of Hawkstone more than Farley. Hawkstone a better track. I mean, it always had that iconic like double sand double thing, and and didn't it go like right up a hill right away and stuff? Like, what did you think of uh, of Hawkstone? Well, um, I, I think that might be. I think because you're, you know, you're a little bit younger, yeah. And I think Farley was probably more iconic mm-hmm. um, to people that are now in their kind of late forties, fifties, sixties. Okay. And then um, people kind of more of your age might know Hawkstone better. So oh, okay. I, I think it, it's it's kind of equal. Although Hawkstone was, you know, around all through the eighties and seventies and everything as well. I think Farley was the main. Farley track. was the yeah was the the big one, and then Hawkstone took And over. then Hawkstone yeah. after that, yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, did you meet up with Thorpe there? Was he there? I did. Yeah, yeah. He didn't ride. Mm-hmm. But, uh, he came and uh, watched for a little while on Sunday, and so yeah, no, it was great to see David again and uh, catch up. He's doing really well. Um, seems really happy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we did a little kind of presentation, and um, you know, British motocross is not perhaps in as healthy a state as everyone would like yeah. in terms of riders, and so um, you know, they're, they're definitely the thought nickel days um, of British motocross are definitely seen as the heyday. Right. And so, um, you know, it, once. When he got to the race and the two of us was together, it, it was you know again it was really a cool experience. I think people you know really appreciate that era of British motocross, which was obviously you know yeah stronger than it is now. Yeah, it does seem like there a lot. Well, a lot of English riders are staying home, right? They don't do GPS because they can't get on a team, so they ride locally. And you know, shout out Sean Simpson and uh, Searle. It's uh, it's tough to get a ride and ride the GPS anymore. Yeah, and you know, Searle and Simpson are, you know, they're they're in the world championship top ten, but mm-hmm. you know, we just don't English riders, you know, just don't challenge for world titles and haven't done now really since since Jamie Dobb. Yeah, um, you know, he would be the last guy that won, but he would also be the last guy that actually challenged for a title. So yep. I mean, that, that really is that's nearly twenty years ago. 
So. Um, we just, uh, on the Pulp and Mech show, we just had Josh Schill on the show. He's going to ride the Alta e-bike at uh, the Red Bull Straight Rhythm this weekend. Uh, Chris Kiefer comes in as co-host, and he helped the Alta guys develop that bike a lot and it's done a lot of riding on it. So I feel like, you know, I, I, I talked about this thing a lot, and and you just won an Endurocross uh, vet class on the Alta e-bike. How did that come together? Whose idea was it? Who approached who? And what did you think? Uh, the the Alta guys approached me. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, to be honest, I hadn't heard of it. Um, and certainly wouldn't see myself as a, uh electric bike rider. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they approached me um, and made a lot of sense what they said. You know, they basically said, you know, we're not, um, you know, battery um, bikes are not out there. We can't enter into off-road races. We're not ready to do full-on motocross races yet. Mm-hmm. We're not ready even to to go to an enduro cross at the, you know, at the pro level. Um, but the bike should be good for enduro cross, we think. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to enter into the vet class to get off feet wet and I said well interesting just bring me a bike and let me have a little ride because <laughs> yeah. I had no idea and uh, you know I'm still very competitive even in my old age so yeah. I wasn't going to go out there if I didn't think that I could win right um, and so you know they they put a lot of effort in they came down brought the bike down and you know, we did a couple of days riding and testing and everything and the bike was great and I could really feel advantages for Enduro Cross mm-hmm. um and you know they they built me a bike and left it down here and I practiced a lot and you know we had a we took it out there and raced it for the first time and won on it so it was you know it's kind of a fairy tale for them yeah you know they're they're the first e-bike that wants to prove itself in competition uh-huh. and you know they they certainly proved it already with that enduro cross race and now. You know, I've got a feeling it's going to be sneakily competitive at straight rhythm. Um, yeah. It's a great application for the bike because it accelerates really hard, and so it does well when it's got good traction, which they'll have at straight rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously it's better on shorter applications, and so I, I've, I'm going to be very, very interested to see how it gets on. Did you feel like in the enduro cross, uh, on a tight, tight corner on some rocks, it just it just killed the other bikes? It just had an advantage in that kind of situation. Yeah, well, what it's got, and you know, you probably know this because from talking to Kiefer, but um, you know, it has different maps that you can put in, which totally yeah. change the power. And so, uh, for enduro cross, you know, we had in some really soft maps. Mm-hmm. And make it so that the bike's like a you know really gets traction on rocks and logs and everything. Sure. And, yeah. And then I mean I was having a shift between maps, um, which was a little complicated. Um, but I think we can even probably uh, get that better for the finals of the Enduro Cross, which are in November. Um, they've actually just bought me another bike with different maps. Oh, which okay. I yet. But. Uh, so yeah, I think it's got definite advantages in the enduro cross. Um, you know, and so uh, I'm looking forward to the finals now, which I guess is like the 19th. Yeah, you're a factory rider again. Course. You're a factory e-bike rider. <laughs> I totally am. I mean, it, it, 
You know, like I you're flew back. to the race. Right, you're back. <laughs> flew to the race and the mechanic showed up with the bike and everything. You know, it felt, felt great. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, we were talking to Hill about this, and I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but honestly, I this thing's great. Um, you know, it goes for a while without a charge. It's got competitive 250F type power. We're losing land. Noise is an issue. I'm not saying these things are going to be the future of motocross or anything else, but I absolutely, now price is high, but that'll come down. I absolutely think that 10, 15 years from now, I think maybe even the Japanese might get involved or Austrians might get involved in, in doing this kind of thing. Do you, do you see that or what do you think? I do. Yeah. I definitely do. Um, uh, what I don't know is how long it'll take. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's still in the States, we're a little bit spoiled with, um, being able to being having a lot of land and still not having too many problems. I mean, if you go to Europe and you go to places like Austria and Germany, you cannot ride off road, right? Like at all. Yeah. And so, you know, there there's an even bigger application for it because you know no noise means that they can pretty much ride wherever they like. So mm-hmm. it's it it is a question of time. Um, I just don't know whether that's. 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, but I mean, it will definitely increase. I mean, the battery technology at the moment, uh, you know, it's a big old lump, that battery. Yeah. Um, But that's going to get better. Uh, The charging distance is going to get better. And it would have a great application now as an off-road bike if it would run for a long, for a really long period of time. Sure. And that that all will happen. Um, And again, I don't know not a battery scientist, so I don't know if that's <laughs> going to happen in five years or yeah. 20 years, but it will happen. Yeah. When it happens, you know, then the application is there without any question. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think it's uh, it's really something else. These guys seem to be onto something for sure. Um, and how many times were you trying to shift it before you got out of that habit? Um, lots. Yep. <laughs> Especially when, you know, like I said, I was um, changing between these maps, maps which yeah. you do with your, with your hand. Uh-huh. Um, with a, a button, but I more than once uh, landed, and as I, I wanted to change maps, my foot immediately moved to try and push it down. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You're, you're thinking, right, you're thinking, okay, I need some bottom, move the foot. Oh, wait, just move the thumb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, what I didn't really miss was the clutch. I mean, the thing is great on hole shots. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's super fast without a clutch because it accelerates so hard. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think on Saturday you're just going to see Josh accelerate way faster than any other 250F towards the first obstacle. What if he wins um, this thing? What if he wins this thing? <laughs> well, He's... if he wins the thing, then there's going to be questions asked as to I know. You know, whether what class it should go in and whether it should go with 250s or what it should. But, uh, I have no idea if he can win. I, yeah. mean, I, I mean, he's talented. I, you know, we know that. The rider himself, you know, he's talented. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah, Josh, Josh could win. I just, I don't know if the bike's ready. You know, I yeah. can endure on it. I certainly am not going to start jumping straight rhythm tracks. <laughs> uh, well, you are part of the Nitro Circus now. So, um, yeah. Motorcycle okay. super, MotorcycleSuperstore.com, Racer X podcast with uh, King Kurt Nickel. Uh, PB Pulp 16 is the code to use. Uh, check out these commercials from Race Tech. Use the code uh, PulpMX16 when you're sa- to save money at Race Tech to get some suspension done and Michelin Starcross 5. Brand new tire out from those guys. We'll be right back with uh, Kurt Nickel. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the MotorcycleSuperstore.com, Racer X podcast.
thanks for listening, man. These things are going great. And I'm stoked with the responses from everybody. And uh, you guys have been doing a great job with the downloads. Don't forget the Fly Racing Moto 60 show on Thursdays. The Pulp MX show on Mondays. The NFAB Racer X Fantasy show sometime in the middle of the week. And the Motorcycle Superstore, they're a passionate team who speak moto. If I'm talking about going riding, bench racing from the latest company ride to the latest parts and gear, this is what drives them to be a place for you to check out all things motorcycles with the top brands in gear, accessories, tires, parts, and apparel. You want to save there. they got everything you need to get out and ride. Go to the website to check out their inventory of brands, uh, over 700 of them. Do you speak moto? If you do, go to MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Use the code PB-PULP16 to uh, 10% off participating brands. PB-PULP16 saves you money. All right, let's get to these commercials from Racetech and Michelin and MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Thanks for listening. See you after the break. Racetech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Racetech. Uh, trust me on this. There's a, more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you, eh, probably... 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech, Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. Michelin tires are back, people. MichelinMotorcycle.com. Michelin Starcross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is this a fancy marketing term or what? No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come in the corners. And what's cool about this tire is even from the previous version, the MH3, it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. It's more comfort, so it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the, the CCT. So you're telling me the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension in tires. Yeah, obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also, too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort. Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires, um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Right. Well, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelin's uh, pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best, so mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage, and 
normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit, but this, um, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage, so uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on. Four versions of this tire. They cover all the uses, Kiefer. Reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting traction handling. They do it all. Starcross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out, the local dealer people. These guys know tires, and they know what they're doing. And we're back. MotorcycleSuperstore.com, RacerX Podcast, uh, presented by Fox Racing, with Kurt Nickel, NitroCircus.com, new tour coming up, Australia, New Zealand, North America. Please, people, check it out. It's, it's amazing. Go buy tickets, and uh, uh, whether it's a, a bathtub or a uh, Strider or a three -wheel, plastic three-wheeler trike or a double backflip or people coming out of the stands to backflip with Pastrana, you'll see something that you've never seen before. So... Um, are those people that come on the stands, Kurt? Are they really random people? Um, they're people. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good enough. They they that part of the show. I'm just like I cannot believe this is happening. This is this is this is crazy. <laughs> so, we will we will not confirm or deny. Right. Um, hey. Uh, so you're doing your Nitro Circus thing. You're still racing a little bit uh, and everything else. You you ran KTM's. Uh, I think, did you ever run the global KTM or was it just American for a while? I don't know sure if you did anything in Europe for KTM, but. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I was. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, you and Dob. Global right. director of racing. Um, I was motocross uh, team manager and then director of um, all the global racing before I came here. That's right. Um, My bad. I should have known was, that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was a transition that uh, happened really quickly um, back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean. I I think I always wanted to move to Southern California from way before that, and certainly when I was racing Supermoto over here, because I, I was actually racing Supermoto Championship while being while doing that. racing at KTM in Europe, and meant traveling from Europe to here about 15 times a year. Jeez. So when the when the opportunity came to stop that and be mm -hmm. here, I, I took it with both arms. Um my job, I was a mechanic for a long time. As you know, I worked for you at KTM, and now I'm in the media. And uh, outside of Chad Reed and Nick Way, like mostly everybody that I was buddies with there is retired. And so I, I don't have the same sort of uh, uh, competitiveness now in this job at racing. And kind of like you, I mean, like you said, you're a competitive guy. You still race. You ride to Vet Nationals every now and then. You just won Enduro Cross. So you're a competitive guy. You still race. Your Nitro job maybe doesn't give you that. Do you... Do you ever want to get back into racing? Do you miss it? Do you uh, look forward maybe one day to running an OEM, running a racing department? I mean, certainly with your credentials, I, I think people would probably be calling you. Um, is that something that uh, you ever thought much about? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that again. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to do that again. No, it, it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy or there's not right. a great job, but, yep. but it was a part of my life and... Uh, yeah, what happened with me, honestly, with racing, as far as team manager goes, right. um, you know, when I first quit racing full time and was a team manager, I had a, you know, I felt like I was very, very effective. I had a great relationship with the riders, mm -hmm. and you know, I had a great connection with them. We were similar in age, and that just kind of disappeared. And um, you know, by the time um, I quit at KTM. You know, I was in my, you know, early 40s and the riders were in their late teens. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I lost that connection. And I, I just, 
didn't have the passion to be team manager anymore. So I, de- I definitely don't anchor after doing that again. I mean, if you called me up and told me I could race professionally again and that you could turn the clock back 30 <laughs> years, I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> sure, right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, I love racing and I love riding dirt bikes. I mean, that, that's what I, you know, that's what I've grown up doing. That's what I love yeah. doing. Yeah. And so, I mean, I love being involved. Um, but, you know, being a team manager or, or running, you know, race department, it's uh, in my past. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, I find myself, I mean, I'm 42 and yeah, I'm talking to these kids and they're telling me about their bike setup and their, their setup and their program and their setup and their program. And, and, uh, and, you know, that's why they didn't win or they got to work on their setup and program. And I feel like I'm in a time warp sometimes, Kurt, where I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yep. setup and program. Got it. All right. Got it. <laughs> so I can understand where you're coming from a little bit, you know, with that. Um, having, yeah. yeah. Well, I actually just, um, uh, which you probably don't know, but I actually just set up, um, a, a new company myself called Champion MX, mm-hmm. which, um, where I'm going to, um, bring, you know, help to bring people over from Europe to, oh, to ride. Yeah. yeah. I'm um, in Southern California. Um, you know, I've got a bunch of bikes here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I already had a few groups of people come over. Um, you know, I had friends and family coming over for the last few years. And, I mean, they just had the greatest time of their lives. Sure. And so um, I figured, you know, it's so much fun. And then if I get people over here and do that, um, then I can go out riding more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, do you have a website or anything that you want to promote? People can... Yeah. ChampionMX.com. Okay. All right. Yeah. Go there. That's a good idea, man. For sure. You set. And if you want to go to Anaheim One, I'll take you there. I'll get you some passes, exactly. some tickets. Uh, we'll go riding on Sunday. Uh, you can meet. You know, you can go to Milestone on a Wednesday and see uh, Kenny Roxon and Dungy or, or whoever. You know, it's a really cool thing for 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 a. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it's a super cool thing, and I mean, a lot of the people that have come over are, you know, slightly older because mm-hmm. um, obviously you know they're. It's kind of more the demo that yep. appeals to, but I mean they they probably have. Well, I, I've had them tell me you know that it's absolutely the best week of their lives when they come over and ride in Southern California. You know, so they're yeah. all pumped up, and it, it's a happiness business. So um, yeah, I mean I don't have time to do you know that a to- whole ton of tours, yep, um, or have a whole ton of people come over. So it's got to be kind of just at certain times, but, um, right. you know, I'll, I'll grow it and do it as much as I can because I really enjoy it. Right. So. Um, as a, uh, we'll wrap this thing up here pretty soon with, uh, Kurt Nickel of Nitro Circus as a, a GP rider and, uh, obviously, uh, born and raised in England. I mean, it's not a stretch to say right now that the best rider in the world, and this is, this might not have been able to have been said for a long time is a European. With Kenny Roxon, I mean, Ryan Dungey might have something to say with that. Eli Tomac, uh, um, or Tim Geyser is phenomenal. Uh, he's Europe, so it doesn't really count. But um, Kenny Roxon might be the best rider in the world right now, and that's uh, that's where we're at. I feel like from the '80s, mid '80s, when you, through your era, that pendulum is starting to swing back when it comes to motocross. And hey, check out these guys can ride supercross now too. And we're in a new world order. If you want to talk about um, uh, the best riders, which which people love to bench race about. Yeah, I think it's been swinging for a while. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I mean, the uh, when um, 
we were, we were racing 500 GPs and 250 GPs in the 90s. I mean, there was no question that the American riders, you know, their techniques and, you know, just the way that they prepared themselves, mm-hmm. it was just better than our programs and they and it showed and that's why they, you know, they won 13 motocross nations in a row mm-hmm. and all of those things. But, you know, it's, it is a different world now. Um, everybody can see what everyone else is doing. You know, we have internet and instant you know, social media, so no yeah. one does anything without everyone knowing straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I quite often tell the story where the first time I ever came to America uh, was for the Carlsbad GP in 1984. Yeah. And um, I had never, I'd heard of, the riders in America, I'd never seen them. Right. I mean, how would I see them? Right, There's right, no, right. no no websites and no anything. No so Twitter? <laughs> I went to, no, nothing. No, and right. so I went to a local race in Carlsbad the weekend before just to watch. Okay. And I stood by the second bend and Ron Machine and uh, Rick Johnson were riding. And I thought their throttles had jammed. <laughs> I thought they were coming straight through the fence. They were so fast. <laughs> and then they just kind of turned and went. And I thought, what the hell was that? <laughs> And and it was just they rode in such a different way, mm-hmm. and 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 that you know they kept that advantage. But now you know, there's just no way to do that because everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, so I think yeah. it it just comes down now to you know who's the most talented rider at a certain time because everyone has access to everything. And I, I would agree with you 100. percent I think I actually think for a couple of years Roxon's been the most talented rider, mm-hmm. but. You know, Ryan Dungey is an incredible athlete, and um, he's still winning the most championships. But um, let's let's see. I mean, I I would expect the Rocks will be very very competitive this year. But also, you know, GPs and even half Supercrosses. I mean, that ill-fated, terrible, whatever it was called, um, half Supercross that they did in Europe. Yeah, SMX. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 SMX, which was absolutely abysmal. But I mean, you. Just kind of watch there, mm-hmm. um, you know, the European riders, uh, you know, as, as competitive as the Americans on what is at least a half of a Supercross. Um, even GP riders that never ride Supercross, so it's um, yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's a new world. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's a definitely a different world. I mean, Tim Geyser, and I saw that this video from Valentin Guillard. I mean, they might have taken James Stewart's scrubbing that he, I think he brought, and they're, they've one-upped it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, Geyser wastes so much energy scrubbing. He'll calm down like Roxon when he gets a bit older, but those guys have taken James Stewart's thing that they saw when they were kids on Instagram and Twitter, and they've taken it to a new level, and they're Europeans, you know? Yeah, absolutely yeah. right, and that's, that's why um, you know, there is a parity, and there will be, the parity now, but, but Ken Roxon's an incredible rider. And, I mean, I remember Ken when he was on 80 cc's. Okay, I was going to ask you um, about that. Yeah, riding in okay. Germany. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it, it was absolutely obvious when he was 11, 12 years old that that kid had absolutely everything to be the champion, and, and so it's proven. Um, yeah, so he was he was one of those obvious talents. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right, and uh, and it, and Geyser's going to be here soon, and I think he's a world class guy. I think I've seen him a bunch, and I think Geyser will immediately, as long as he doesn't, you know, launch himself into um, a whoop section wide open. I think he will learn the ropes and be a top guy. Uh, do you think so? 
I haven't seen him ride probably as much as you. Okay. I mean, I watched the CBS broadcast. He's obviously very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Right? He scrubs super hard. Um, he can obviously do all the obstacles. You know, I think the main thing from a Supercross perspective is, you know, just not to not to rush it. You know, it's still it's still a different skill. Mm-hmm. And you know, you it, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, because you only have to go through the whoops one time and mistime <laughs> it, and then you go to the hospital. Yeah. And that's what you don't really have in motocross. And he's been brought up as a motocross rider, and yeah. so I still think he probably needs to take it step by step and then he will be a great supercharger as well for sure yeah it's uh, it's gonna be interesting times for sure well hey kurt uh thank you uh for the uh for the time today on the motorcyclesuperstore.com podcast i love listening to you talk about views you, you whether it's a, a top race rider uh, that you were back in the day or running nitro circus now or like i said running an oem from a racing point where you're looking at budgets uh and riders and, and a worldwide global effort like i feel like you've got a real good perspective on everything you know in our sport and also too it, i love some of your thoughts on promoters and different things that you know go on in our sport because you've been outside of it a little bit so i always love talking to you it's always interesting thanks steve it's always great talking to you oh well thanks buddy um all right so nitrocircus.com uh check them out get your tickets now and uh kurt nickel will be on an e-bike uh, at an enduro cross near you um, if you told me in 1994 that Kurt Nickel will be running Nitro Circus Tour on a, and will race an e-bike and win, I might have, I might have bet a lot of money against that. So yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Great. Well, hey, thanks for your time, Kurt. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Steve. Uh, see you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Steve Mathis Show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know. And I know from personal experience, 
Did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey, 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 hey,